human mind, body, emotions, and spirit are more powerful than anyone can imagine. And we will learn to utilize each of them to the maximum and learn to make decisions about what we want and how we want to feel. What a concept. And one we will explore today on The Self-Improvement Show with your host, Dr. Irene Conlon. On our program, we'll address who you are, why you're here on this planet, how to go within, how to come to know what you believe and why. Now, here's your host, Dr. Irene Conlon. Welcome to The Self-Improvement Show. This is Irene Conlon. We're broadcasting from Fountain Hills, Arizona, and I am so delighted that you're with us today. We have something so special. Now and then, someone or something comes along that knocks your socks off. I want you to go to the self-improvement blog and read our guest's um, bio, look at his picture, watch the videos that are there, um, and then you can put your socks back on. Today's guest is one of these people who does that. When I heard he was with the Beach Boys, I really paid attention because I loved their music. He also played a baritone sax, and so did I in high school, so that got my attention too, but I can guarantee you the Beach Boys would never have wanted to hire me. Then I downloaded his 108 phone app called Heart Plus and read his book. I was blown away. How do you go from playing the saxophone with the Beach Boys to becoming an expert in the study of subtle energy engineering and on to inventing quantum code technology. I can tell you it was not an easy road. Robert O. Williams did this. His research has provided scientific breakthroughs in field-based technologies, consciousness, and human potential, and he's with us today. Robert O. Williams is considered one of the world's foremost experts in subtle energy engineering and technology. I really didn't know there was such a thing um, until I started getting acquainted with some of the things he's done. He's an inventor, musician, and educator. He lectures at leading universities and is the inventor and developer of quantum code technology. In addition to teaching music at the university level, Robert recorded and performed with such artists as the Beach Boys, Paul Horn, and Charles Lloyd. He's worked with prominent scientists, including Dr. William Tiller, Dr. Dr. Beverly Rubick, Dr. Rustam Roy, and Dr. Stuart Krasner. He's the author of the newly released Love is the Power, One Man's Journey to Heal the Heart of Humanity, a gigantic endeavor. It is my absolute honor to welcome to the Self-Improvement Show, Robert Williams. Robert, I'm so delighted to have you with us. Dr. Conlon, what a pleasure to be on your show. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, you're so welcome. And you can call me Irene. I never go formal on this show ever. Okay. <laughs> All right. But don't call me Bob, though. That's I deal. won't call you Bob. I will call you Robert or <laughs> Hey You or something. Tell us about yourself, Robert. Who is Robert Williams? Um, you know, Irene, it's a, it's a multi-layered question. I think we can all relate to a very profound time on planet Earth as humans. So my simple answer is I am a participant in humanity's evolution and humanity's consciousness and the blossoming uh, love that's happening. And we are all equal participants, in my opinion. We all have our stories. I have my story. Yet at the same time, there is a field of consciousness that is a unified field that um, I am speaking for from time to time. We all are in touch with. We all are part of that field. So in a sense, uh, when I wrote the book, um, I was certainly, I talked about some of those interesting things I experienced, but more importantly, my, my intention was to get out of my own way and speak for this emerging consciousness, speak for humanity's higher knowledge and, and wisdom. And that was um, 
that was actually the easiest part because uh, to get out of my own way was something I learned early on. So it's it's even more difficult for me to to say, well, I was this and I was that, or I am this and I am that. But we all have our stories. So you know, I have mine too. But really, we are in we are, we, we are all in this together for sure. <laughs> yeah, we are. Your story, your life story, is anything but usual. You were an unusual child. You had an unusual childhood, and it continues to be what I consider special. Some people would say it's a little more than unique. Um, And I thought it was really very brave of you to lay it all out there. Um, You certainly got my attention. Tell us your story. What led you to write the book? And then tell us your story as as much in a nutshell as you can to bring the readers up to date about what propelled you. Sure. Yeah, um, I believe actually all of us are born are born with clairvoyance. We are born with the abilities to see higher dimensions and all kinds of things. And then because of certain condensation of beliefs, we either lose that clairvoyance or we don't talk about it at least, or we just kind of don't believe in it. So I, I certainly was one of those. I, I grew up, and fortunately I had a, um, a wonderful backyard that I would go and, and see the nature spirits and, and play with them. And there was one particular being that showed up consistently his name, I wrote a chapter about him. His name is Jing. And he um, taught me a, a bunch of things about nature. So that gives you a hint of my childhood. And at one point, Jing came to me right around the, my adolescence or my puberty, and he said, I can't see you anymore. It's just it's forbidden for me to see you anymore. And I was so devastated. And I couldn't understand why he was my best friend and really one of my only friends who was in my world. But he said it was uh, forbidden, and and, uh, and he wished me well, and that was it. And I felt very, very alone. I was about 12 years old at the time, 10 or 11 or 12 in there. And I, um, I wanted that feeling of lightness. I wanted that freedom that I'd experienced in the backyard in nature with Jing and others. Um, and, and I found it in my music, and my father... Was a um, played in the army band, and he also fought combat, and so all that was part of his story. But he had a saxophone; he gave it to me when I was young, and and I would uh, practice. And at certain points in my practicing, <clears throat> excuse me, I would feel this this natural energy, this lightness of being, and I began to experience music in ways that were similar to. Mm-hmm. Nature and, and similar to the um, the uh, the freedom that I had in the in the backyard. So I so I became very obsessed with my music. And growing into uh, my teen years and and junior high and high school, I had to uh, learn to position my clairvoyance um, in a in a way that didn't uh, affect others um, and also didn't. Um, cause things to go crazy, which you and I were talking about uh, prior to <laughs> yes. being on the air, you know, electronic things would, would do weird, you know, turn off and on and without any, any buttons being pushed, and, and I would cause some chaos without, uh, before I learned how to kind of control the energies that were coming out of me. But uh, in spite of that, I, I had a, uh, a fairly good teenage high school Experience and was in the uh, jazz band, and that's where I played Barry sax. And uh, went into college. I was very committed to being a musician and had it all laid out in front of me. I was going to get my teaching credential as a backup to going on the road with some cool band and see the world. During my third year of college, Cal State Hayward, actually, I was a music major there and really doing pretty good. And um, yet uh, my my jaw began to hurt 
it had hurt for so many years prior, but it wasn't that big of a deal. And when you're young, you just don't, you know, you don't pay attention to pain like, like uh, in other times of your life. Right. So I just ignored it until uh, it got worse and worse. And, and one morning I couldn't open my mouth, which was a very spooky feeling. And they, um, make a long story short there, they found uh, with x-rays and, and diagnosing what was going on that I had um, injured my TMJ, my temporal mandibular joint. When I was seven years old, I fell off my bicycle and it didn't heal. It cracked my little joint there. And so now fast forwarding to playing my saxophone many hours a day, I was stressing that area and the muscles would go into spasm and start to lock and very painful. So that was a, a big turning point for me. The, the dentist and the doctor said, well, it's simple. You just have to give up your saxophone because the position, oh. you know, you just, so here I went, third year of college, my whole life planned out and I was pretty good on the, on the sax and, and in other instruments. And so this was just really, really hard for me to face. And I wrote in my diary when they said, uh, you can't play anymore. Uh, I, I wrote something very pivotal. I said, I want to find something that cannot, cannot be taken away from me. So it was, it was <laughs> certainly, certainly raising my fist to God as a victim. And, you know, why did you do this? And I, and I certainly felt anger and, and, but also just this, like, what, what's going on here? You know, I, uh, what is the purpose of, suffering? What is the purpose of my pain? Why did this happen to me? I bet you most of us has gone through periods like that where we just don't understand the struggle and the, and the, and the suffering. Um, so I, I continue playing my saxophone at Cal State. I reduced the number of hours I was playing, but I couldn't just give everything up. I was also in rock and rock bands around the Bay Area and jazz bands. So I kind of just went into the state of well, I'll, I'll, I'll play. I don't know where I'm going or what the rest of my life is, but I'm just, I wrote in my diary and wanted to find something that couldn't be taken away. And one evening, <laughs> one evening um, I was at Cal State and late at a rehearsal and I had got a parking ticket, you know, so it was like, oh my gosh, now everything. Now even this, you know, <laughs> I even got a parking yeah. ticket. And I went to pay the, pay my fine at the campus security. And um, this was one of these times where the clairvoyance was, mm, I couldn't deny what was going on. So I, I was in the campus security office, and this was before computers, so the, the officer had to go and get my file and do paperwork. And I was looking at his desk. I was on the other side of his desk, and, and he had a photograph that was facing him. I remember thinking, I wonder if it's rude if, to, to walk around and, you know, where he would sit and look at that photograph. Is that like something rude? Or maybe it's his wife, a child. Why am I so drawn to that? I was really drawn to it. I couldn't take my eyes off the back of the frame. Just so curious. So finally, I just didn't care if I was going to be rude or not. So I walked over around and I looked at the picture and it was of Maharishi Mahesh Yogi, mm. the founder of Transcendental Meditation. Yeah. And I asked uh, Officer O'Brien, whatever his name was, uh, and he was like that very happy, that, that uh, you could say that typical uh, wonderful, wonderful retired officer at, at the campus uh, personality. And he said, you know what? You ought to try this out. I've been doing meditation for now six months, and it's really changed my life. It's <laughs> yeah. blah, blah, blah. And I was looking at Maharishi, and it was just alive. And so I started meditation that weekend, and that was something that I felt was an answer to my prayer because I began to um, experience the inner depths of my own consciousness and areas that were beyond the physical form and, um, and, and so forth. And so that started a whole other phase of my life as a meditator, as somebody who was... Uh, very interested in consciousness and and life on Earth from the viewpoint not of a specific physical body, but from the viewpoint of a collective uh, 
consciousness, which is what Maharishi was teaching at that time. So I went to uh, uh, MIU, Maharishi International University, which was a fully accredited university at the time. Believe it or not, everybody was meditating, but we all had to learn physics and chemistry and English and all the other things that, that were, are required in colleges. I didn't even think that I would ever see anything with my music again, but I brought my sax along just for the heck of it. And sure enough, there was a, uh, a local band there, and I started playing with them. Now, simultaneous to this, and by the way, I just saw Mike Love of the Beach Boys last week. They were playing here in oh. Sacramento, and we had a good, nice. uh, uh, good old time talk. Uh, what a what a wonderful uh, human being he is! But at the time, he was um, in Rishikesh with the Beatles, learning meditation directly with Maharishi, and and uh, all the Beach Boys learn and the Beatles. I think we've all heard the stories. When they came back, uh, Michael was the, the, the most excited about the technique and the freedom he felt while meditating. And he wanted to do an album, do a Beach Boy album, away from Beverly Hills or Hollywood and L.A. and all that. Wanted to kind of he liked the vibes at MIU, and he so believe it or not, they built a studio right on campus in the middle of Iowa, Maharishi International University, to to make a Beach Boy album. And they, they started laying down the tracks, and then it came to the point where they needed some horns, and somebody, and I don't know who to this day, told Mike that there was a saxophone player on campus. And, you know, why fly in somebody from L.A.? Try this guy out. So I got a little note in my student mailbox, which was just thrilling, because we had all heard they were there, but we couldn't go there, you know, there was security around, and <clears throat> we were... They didn't want to interfere with our studies, so we couldn't go out there and play Beach Boy songs. But I was invited, and I uh, was told that they needed a Barry Sax player, and so I tried the parts out and got the gig, recorded it on that album, uh, and met most of the Beach Boys at that point. And during the last recording session, I thought to myself, you know, this is like a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Uh, I, I have to ask if I can just join the group, you know, in the, as a backup, in the, in the backup band, in the, the horn section. And sure enough, I was able to do that. So I went from in the middle of Iowa to back to L.A. and Hollywood, and, and uh, we were not only doing uh, concerts and playing with the Beach Boys, but we were also, Mike Love and I and others, uh, formed a motion picture soundtrack company, and I be began to help in the administration and the musical uh, end of motion picture soundtracks. And we did the soundtrack for um, Lily Tomlin and, uh, gosh, John Travolta's first serious movie. And so I was thrust into that whole world, which was phenomenal and very exciting. But also I learned that um, there's a lot of ego. <laughs> and, you know, we all... Oh, yeah. I was pretty young at 25, so I, I was learning about egos and about um, the facades. You know, one of the, somebody told me that in L.A. it's like a big movie set. Everybody is, is uh, into their, their character, and yet very few people really know who they are. And oh, I yeah. Really so how on that. earth yeah. did you get from the Beach Boys to quantum code technology? Right. <laughs> what a big well, step. Well, I was. And I you was, had uh, you you came with, there the hard way, I would say. <laughs> I was very sick, and and I I was born sick and grew up with all kinds of odd uh, physical symptoms. <clears throat> so, in nineteen seventy eight, um, I had a bunch of symptoms that the doctors didn't know what was going on. So this is. This was another turning point. Um, I became weaker and weaker and sicker and sicker, and the doctors didn't know, um, and finally said, if you continue this route, you'll be dead in six months. Your liver is shut down, your kidneys, your digestion, your lungs, or, you know, everything was just shutting down. I was very thin. I'm six foot three, and I was down to 110 pounds. And at this point, it was, was pretty much bedridden. 
and I and I had that intuition, another strong intuition that if I continued going through the allopathic route, and I'm and I'm a fan of medical doctors. I don't, I'm not uh, don't want to criticize them, but I just knew at that point that um, that would kind of secure my my doom in the hospitals, and so another step was made to trust the divine, and I stopped all the um, medical visits and so forth, but I didn't get better. I actually uh, woke up one morning and was very debilitated and either tripped and fell or passed out. I'm not sure what happened there, but found myself out of my body, looking at my body on the bathroom floor, and understanding that I was that I was either dying or that I had died. That concept wasn't unfamiliar, that uh, there was something greater than our physical body. So I was there looking, and then, like, I'm fine. Uh, you know, let thy will be done. If this is my time to go on, then I'm completely willing. As I had that thought, there was, um, there was an immediate change into infinite light, I can say. There was no tunnel, no, none of that that I read later on about, but just this complete freedom, as if the feelings I had and the experience I had as a child in the backyard had been magnified by a million times, and the love and the, just this enormous, infinite light. At first there was light and there wasn't anything else. Then I became just a bit separated from the light. So there was something else. There was a little bit of me or the I-ness experiencing the light. And then another part of myself showed up and gave, gave a choice to go back or to, to go back into the light, into that infinite light, or to go back to my body. I asked if I had a purpose, and the answer was yes. So I realized, you know, okay, I have a purpose for going back into my body. I must do this. And and it was, uh, this is where the, uh, the book takes off, and I wrote um, several chapters about this, and my, my dissension back into my body, if you will, was full of um, experiences on very discrete dimensions. And I saw these various beings, these various states of reality, and um, um, angels, and there, there, there are beings that are, we can call anything we want, and they respond in certain ways. And I also saw a dimension full of symbols and geometries, and what's often called sacred geometry, mandalas. Did Did you understand them when when you were there? Did you know what that meant, or had, did it unfold gradually later? It unfolded gradually. I didn't understand very much of it. I only felt the love of that uh, reality, and and I uh, I was in awe of the whole dissension process or the whole incarnation process. When I when I so I didn't understand, but I I wasn't worried about understanding. <laughs> I was just in it. Yeah. You know? And uh, when I got into my body, finally, literally, you know, wiggling my toes a bit, realizing I'm now in my body, in this physical body. And, this was in March of 1979 in Santa Barbara, a very beautiful time of year. I remember hearing the birds chirping, the bird song, the, the wind blowing, the insects, those sounds in the garden, and the ocean, which was nearby. And there was this enormous realization that the intelligence of behind nature, as nature, um, is the same intelligence and always has been the same intelligence of our own of our own beingness of our own physical bodies and that intelligence which was chirping the birds and all the things that were happening was the same intelligence that was behind my own heart beating again at that point in my own breath and it was such a uh, a, a wondrous uh, revelation that i realized uh, that the troubles of humanity and the, the challenges that even back then, and it was crazy back in the 70s, were, were not outside of our realm of solutions, 
They were not unapproachable un, uh, problems, nor were they inevitable, nor were they part of the blueprint of humanity or the earth itself. I realized that the, the level of consciousness that is at the core of each of our being has not only uh, the life force and the energy constructions to, to uh, heal ourselves, and to heal our emotional wounds and so forth, but to also um, regain a, um, the proper relationship with nature itself and the earth itself. I just knew all those things. And so I, I uh, picked myself up and cleaned myself up. That sense of unity with nature uh, left, but it was uh, that whole experience certainly changed my outlook and changed my life. Um, so I left the entertainment business and, and went back to nature, literally bought a sprout farm and began working with sprouts and plants in the, in the, out in the country. And I began to uh, uh, consciously go back into these dimensions. The, the, the technique, which is still applicable for me today, and hopefully uh, most of your listeners can relate to this, we have this habit of running away from something. In oh, life, yeah. Or running towards something. And that's okay. You know, we have our goals, and then we have things that are not comfortable. We don't want those things. All of those tendencies are fine. But there is a place that never runs, that's never going anywhere, or that can relax in the moment. And the, the, that level of reality is usually gained as we let go of our resistances or we actually locate that which we are resisting, locate our, our uh, fears, and simply love them, just be with them, which is what a mother does when her child cries. The mother holds the child. And I'm a father, and I just saw this yeah. firsthand, this enormous intelligence that's built into parenting, but also built into humanity. Every one of us has this ability to love, and loving in an unconditional sense. So as I located my own fear in an in a, um, isolated environment, I, I, and I began to just allow that fear, allow the resistance, allow the pain, um, I would then find myself able to go to these higher dimensions and uh, become more familiar with the details of those um, domains and uh, learn about these sacred geometries and the mandalas that I had seen. So I would make these chips back and forth and write them all in my journals and then go about my life. But that was the beginning of my understanding of what you mentioned earlier, this quantum code technology. So uh, does that give you an idea of uh, uh, a little <laughs> that, bit of the oddities of my life? Uh, yeah, um, it's quite a life. Along the way, you developed this wonderful little thing. I really, you know, I had kind of forgotten I had mine. I got it back out called the Q-Link. Was that something that you got in other dimensions? Because it certainly was um, really a new kind of thing uh, on the market um, by a company called, I assume it was your company called Claris. Mm-hmm. So was this the beginning of the things you invented from what you learned? Um, it was the, uh, the second or third phase. I began a R&D company with some others in 1985. Um, but backing up what is the technology, when I was doing these interdimensional journeys, uh, specifically the, the level of geometries and symbols and mandalas, um, it turns out, that these symbols are uh, energy transducers that uh, connect us with ourselves or with our oh. Yeah. So that's, that's where the Q-Link came from and these other applications we have. There are, uh, you can imagine that there are fields of information or innate blueprints of uh, design and construction that are behind everything that's material. Everything that is showing up here in the physical world has its non-physical blueprint or its non-physical 
uh, potential, and everything is evolving. Nothing is stagnant. Uh, so these symbols um, I learned were ways in which the um, the doorways into our higher selves or our the higher functioning potential of matter are governed by certain laws, and these laws have symbols behind them. Symbols also, you could say, uh, relationship of, of energy. So when you look at a, a mandala, for instance, one of these uh, circular forms of art with specific uh, geometries in them. And, they yeah, and I would encourage the, the readers to Google mandalas and, and look at some of these beautiful things. They um, are beautiful. And you said the key word, they're beautiful because when we look at them, they are resonating with our own being, our own self. You know, here's another, I love this example. When you look, humans don't have to vote whether sunsets are beautiful or not. We all agree. I mean, those of us who are are lucky to be on the coast and watch a sunrise or a sunset, um, we, we just, I used to live in La Jolla and everybody would go down there and and watch the sunset. The reason is because those geometries of the circumference of the sun and some crazy man and and a bunch of others uh, did geometries on the actual (laughs) event of a sunset, and those geometries are also found in our own DNA. So when we're looking at mandalas or we're looking at nature, and we like, oh, this is so beautiful. This is such a beautiful sight. We are seeing ourselves. We are resonating with those very angular uh, relationships in our own souls and our own, and even our own physical DNA. So there's there's the the secret. We're we're looking at nature as a separate thing from ourselves, and yet we have always been nature. We've always been a part of nature, and there's only um, uh, a variety. There's a, there's a limited number of uh, relationships of energy or code, you could say, or frequencies that allow that are there that allow evolution to take place. So when we look at these symbols, we are connecting with our higher potential. And when we see something beautiful, we are connecting to our higher potential. And, and what I was able to do is isolate 108 of these symbols, these mandalas, and um, you mentioned Claris. I started Claris with uh, Dr. William Tiller, who, in my opinion, is one of the most brilliant scientists of our, of our time. He taught um, conventional crystallography and material science at Stanford University, was the chairman of the department. And he began to, uh, early on in his career, his uh, uh, academic career, to intuit and then to find why crystals and why geometries are important for humanity. And working with him, we were able to transduce or, or use these mandalas as uh, ways in which to um, broadcast energy via radio waves and, and or in, make our own crystals that resonate with those geometries and those mandalas. And that's where the Q-Link came from. So the Q-Link has a bunch of mashed-up crystals that we make um, and the crystalline structures uh, are connected to these uh, sacred symbols that have to do with our own evolution, our own waking up, if you will. Um, a lot of the uh, religions have prophesied a time of greater love and awakening, and uh, there are specific guiding symbols that uh, show up and or we become resonant with when the time is is uh, for those uh, higher potentials to manifest. So you can say, like a plant starts out as a seed, the symbols or the the information blueprint for the rose, the blossoming rose, is still there. It's always there, even at the level of the seed, but it's not active. The seed goes to the sprout, goes to the stem, goes to the leaves. Each time the form is changed, right? The leaf looks right. a lot different than the sprout. Sprout looks a lot different than the seed, and and so forth. So these major changes follow a pattern that was pre-designed or um, innate or um, latent, you can say, until the time is right. 
And then when it's time for that form, in this analogy, the plant to turn into a flower, then those, those uh, frequencies of nature begin to broadcast so the plant knows how to form itself following these sacred geometries. So the same thing is happening with humanity. So um, prior to each major phase change, for instance, the seed to the sprout to the stem to the leaf, there's an increase of disorder at first because <laughs> the, the, the stem had to you know, solidify itself as the stem, and there's a lot of order there, and there's a long period of order. And then these, uh, the season changes or the phase begins to change, and disorder then uh, gives way for the leaf to be formed. So that's found in many examples, in all examples, actually, of nature. And the caterpillar to the butterfly, we've, we've heard the caterpillar cannot become a butterfly unless it goes through its, its um, so-called death process of that, of that form, the caterpillar form. And then there's uh, a transformation that occurs. So, on, Robert, on that note, we really need to go to break. When okay. we come back, we'll finish that thought. This is Irene Conlon with my guest Robert Williams saying, please stay with us. We'll be right back with more. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. I'm busy and so is my family. Leftover pizza and unhealthy takeout isn't really doing it for us anymore. Just ask my bathroom scale. That all changed when I found Freshly. For less than $10 a meal, Freshly delivers six meals a week, always fresh, never frozen, prepared by top chefs and nutritionists using the best, freshest, gluten-free ingredients. The best part is the menu is always new and fresh, just like the food, and it only takes three minutes for me to prepare breakfast, lunch, or dinner, and there's no messy cleanup and no dishes. My family loves the choices and the taste and freshly delivers to my home and my office so I eat healthy all day, every day. If you're tired of the same old cardboard delivery and takeout, try out Freshly.com today and save $20 on your first order using coupon code VAE639 at Freshly.com. Your taste buds and your scale will thank you. So save $20 today with coupon code VAE639 at Freshly.com. Inspired, encouraged, and connected on our lively, award-winning, healthy living power hour, Star Style. Be the star you are with host and empowerment architect, Cynthia Bryan. Live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Tune in to the Power Party for positive, uplifting, life-changing talk radio. Visit StarStyleRadio.com. Tune in to The Self-Improvement Show with your host, Dr. Irene Conlon. Got a question for Irene or her guests? Call into our live show at 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Connect with Irene via email. Our address is theselfimprovementblog at gmail.com. Now, let's get back to The Self-Improvement Show. Here again is Dr. Irene Conlon. Welcome back to the Self-Improvement Show. Our guest today is Robert Williams. He has written a wonderful book called uh, Love is the Power, One Man's Journey to Heal the Heart of Humanity. I urge you to go to Amazon or to your local bookstore and get this book. Um, we've talked a good bit about Robert's life. It's all in that book uh, with much, much more. There's so many things, Robert, I want to ask you, and we're on the last lap. Um, I think, listeners, we're going to get to have him back, and I'll let you know as soon as we know when that can be. You wrote the book, Love is the Power, and and my question is, and we've led up to it, the power for what? 
Um, I, I, I want you to, you know, to, to just kind of give us an answer on that because I really want to talk about your uh, 108 QCT technology before we before we leave the show. So, love is the power for what? Love is the power for a transformation for uh, humans to experience reality and lives without suffering, and ultimately. Uh, that power is programmed. It's part of our birthright. It is already here. And the more of us that uh, even experience a little bit of that unconditional love in their daily lives uh, will have uh, it, it will have an effect on on the whole. And I'm convinced of that. And so that's what the power is uh, in love. And it's not a love that we, it, you know. I have a 12-year-old daughter, and she's got a crush on a boy, and she says she loves him. So there's, there's all these different phases of, of love and <laughs> yeah. definitions of love. You know? And ultimately, I, we chose to use that word as the epitome, as the, as the wonderful, um, vast resource of healing and transformational energy. So that's the power of love. And now, how does that apply to a phone app? Come on. <laughs> phone so, that's where, I love that phone uh, app, by the way. <laughs> that's where Professor Tiller and uh, really smart people we worked with, think of energy as uh, there's the gross physical aspect of energy, and then there's the subtle energies that are carried on, on these um, gross uh, or more physical aspects of wave. It gets a bit complicated, but when, let's just say if I call you on your cell phone and I'm on my cell phone, out of the millions and millions and millions of cell phones on the planet, I'm able to find you. And it's, you know, digital technology. And it's, a, it's an amazing technology that is really uh, bringing us all together. Um, now, we want to make sure that what's being carried on those connections are of the highest good. And that's where uh, Dr. Tiller and others worked so that we could broadcast on the carrier wave of digital um, technology, so a cell phone, for instance. We can broadcast these fundamental sacred symbols or fundamental sacred energies that are nature itself, that are uh, the next highest level of good, as has been um, intuited by so many. So we were, uh, it took us a long time, but we, we first uh, discovered how to broadcast these symbols through radio waves, uh, broadcast the codes, we call them now, frequencies, if you will. And, and then the, the, uh, we did tests on the recipients and the uh, receivers of that energy. And the tests were always uh, encouraging, life-supporting, good things. Plants grew more quickly and so forth. Water was more pure. People felt better and their uh, uh, um, vitals increased. So then we did it on digital, and uh, Beverly Rubick, who's a wonderful, brilliant scientist as well, University of California, Berkeley, did a two-year study and found that people with a double-controlled, super-controlled, double-blind test, people that were using the app on, on their cell phones and compared to people who were using a, a sham app without connecting to our URLs, these field generators that we have that broadcast out these frequencies. Those people that had the real app uh, that was revealed after the test was, was done and codes were decoded, their actual physical hearts um, got healthier through the heart rate variability study. So this was a huge, huge breakthrough. How can something that is very, you could say, unnatural, our cell phones didn't grow from trees, didn't come out of our bodies. How can something like that be turned into something that supports our own physical parts? Uh, it wasn't a, just a small improvement. It was, it was over 30% increase in heart rate variability, which is another way of saying 30% less stress. So the, the people felt less stress. Um, and the Heart Plus app is also giving us the uh, opportunity to join up as a collective force. Yes. So uh, leading into the, 
the main purpose for the Heart Plus app is to allow this strength of numbers to take hold. So our theory is if we get 1% of the population that even just for a little bit each day is resonating with who they are more accurately, resonating with their own hearts more clearly, then it will have an effect on, on mass consciousness everywhere. So that's and I am assuming yeah. that we're all we're all touched or influenced or changed in some way by being a part of this. And I say that my experience with this was extremely interesting. I don't know whether I'm an anomaly or not, but the only thing that I ch- had changed in the last few weeks was downloading this app. Now you have to know I'm 82. Bless your heart. And and so you know things are things get a little different when you get this age. And when I had this app, and I carry my phone most of the places I go because uh, you know you, 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 we do that. And I had all kinds of things going on. I had an abnormal heart rate. I my blood pressure went way up. I felt really funny. And then I did something of a cleanse. And then things settled down, and I haven't felt this well for so long. I don't. I, I can't. I don't know. Can I attribute that to this app? Because it's the only thing in my life that's changed. What you have is your innate intelligence that knows the highest potential of your each cell in your body from moment to moment, and what the Heart app does is resonate with that higher intelligence and in a sense enhances who you really are. So if, if there's a toxin in the body, then it's easier for that toxin to, to get out. Um, if you need more sleep, you have more sleep. If you need less sleep, you have less sleep. So this innate intelligence is the key. The Heart app doesn't have anything specific in there for any specific yeah. ailment. It is just I- connecting us up with through our own spiritual hearts to our higher potential. That's all it does. Well, something definitely was going on with me, and um, it, it was extremely interesting. I really tried to pay attention. Um, and so, of course, I recommend that people get this app. It's an easy download for an iPhone or an Android. So, the easiest way these days is to go to loveisthepower.com. Loveisthepower.com. And I meant to tell sell to everybody, yeah. is this how people can find you as well? How do people bet, find yeah. you? Yeah, it's on that website, and it'll just, it actually shortcuts. If you go to the App Store, there's other heart applications, and it gets a little confusing. But if you go to loveisthepower.com and you hit the App Store button or the Google uh, button, it'll go right there. And yeah, you can get the book there too. Um, and... Like I say, we're all in this together. I mean, we wanted to make it affordable. I think it's only $2 for a one-time fee. You get this app forever and ever, and you, you are connected to this um, blossoming of humanity uh, goal that we have. And, and, you know, I really want to be able to talk with you about you know, the rise in consciousness, what that means, you know, what's happening in... Uh, on the planet, uh, you know, in in all around the world, in people's hearts, in in governments, in you know some of the the things that are happening physically to the planet, like the hurricanes and what's going on, seems like such a tumultuous time. Yeah. And I really would like to talk about what what's going, what it means to have this synchronicity with others all across the planet, you know, to connect in love, to raise your consciousnesses together. Uh, what's the outcome? You know, what are we looking for? Um, we don't, we just don't have time to do that today. Um, so, you know, hopefully we can get you back on uh, and, and talk about some of those things. You good with that? I am, I'm, <laughs> Very good with that. And there is hope, but we don't want to end. There, there is, I know the time is, so I'm so well, sorry. I've, I've talked so much, but that, I want that's to end okay. 
you know, there is a huge, huge surge of love happening on the planet right now, whether we know it or not. And it is, and, and I can see it, and I'm doing research with it on a daily basis, the cycle of humanity that we're going through. And, and yes, there's horrible suffering and horrible things happening. And, uh, but there's good things over the horizon. So hopefully I can get back on your show. We can talk more about that. Yeah, I really want to know uh, because I'm pretty sure the good guys win. But it's like a, a Western, you know, are the, are the good guys going to win? Uh, of course they are. Love, love always does win. Um, but there's so many questions that come about some of this technology. It's so new, so cutting edge. And um, really would like to get into it more. What's the thought you'd like to leave with the listeners today, Robert? That we are doing something miraculous and beautiful just with our own awareness. Just with our awareness of our own love as, as even in our times of pain and suffering, if we just put our, ask ourselves, who am I? Put our attention on our hearts. It actually activates an enormous power for our own healing and for the healing of others. We're not isolated. We're all in this together. And there really is an amazing thing happening on this planet, in spite of the unfortunate part of this transition as well. Well, transitions sometimes bring pain and um, often a great deal of joy along the way as well. You can find links to Robert's website uh, on the self-improvement blog. Please go there and read his story. Find a, you know, the link to his book. Um, find the app for your phone uh, and be a part of this wonderful surge of love and consciousness that's happening around the planet. Robert, thank you so much for being with us today. I look forward to talking with you again. Oh, my pleasure, Irene. Thank you, and thank you to your listeners. You have a powerful community, and it's, and like I say, there's power in numbers, and you're doing such a great job. Thank you. Thank you so much. This is Irene Conlon and my guest, Robert Williams, saying thank you so much for being with us today. Come back again next week for more of the Self-Improvement Show. again for joining Dr. Irene Conlon for the Self-Improvement Show. Please listen again next Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Remember that improvement out there starts in here.